Welcome to the Chosen Brew Beer Podcast. My name's Ian McNally and this is the podcast where guests normally talk through the six beers that changed everything. But in this episode, we've got Jesse Yungawala who's talking through the six beer designs that changed everything. This episode is fascinating. I loved it so much talking about beer design. Uh, what a journey it was. Uh, and towards the end of this episode, uh, Jesse is very passionate, as I am, about diversity in beer. Jesse had some very candid things to say. Please do listen right to the end. Very insightful. And I'll have some things to say at the end of the episode about that as well. But in the meantime, here is another great beer journey. Let's get into it. Jesse, welcome to the Chosen Brew Beer Podcast. It's a bit of a different one. You're talking through your six beer designs that changed everything. You're from a company. You created a company called Craft Instinct. What is Craft Instinct? Craft Instinct is me sitting down thinking, how can I design beer labels 100% of the time? Um, and then thinking, oh, I could start a craft beer branding company. Uh, So Craft Instinct is a brand development uh, company that specialises in craft beverages um, and we probably do about 80% of that being beer. Now I've seen a lot of your work unconsciously and I've consciously researched obviously for this because I'm very diligent. Why beer? Why craft? Like obviously you're you're talented enough to have gone into any industry. Why this one? Oh, thank you. Um, Because I fell in love with it. Like a lot of people in the industry have fallen in love with craft beer. Um, The liquid, uh, the history, um, the artistic sort of merit that comes with it, Um, but also the industry itself and the people that it attracts. It's a real, really unique industry um, of camaraderie over competition. It works a lot with independent and family-owned businesses, which resonate a lot with my values. And I just bloody love beer. (laughs) (laughs) Always have. You could have just said that end bit. (laughs) (laughs) That that was it, the answer. Um, Look, it's really exciting uh, phase for beer, beer design. I think it always kind of has been. Can you give us a little bit of a synopsis of like, or a bit of an overview of how beer has changed over the you know the time that you've been involved designing from where you kind of started off craft instinct and how things have developed how have you seen things change well i actually started off designing for beer in canada um which uh at the time it was what was it 2013 Australia was way behind in both, um, you know, just craft beer, the quality of beer, but also the design and, and branding involved. Um, then, you know, the Pacific Northwest, which is uh, where I was in Vancouver. Um, so in terms of Australian design and branding, it's basically a different world. Why was that, do you think? Why was Australia so far behind? Was it because the craft beer scene hadn't been developed as much or was it because the skill set of design hadn't wasn't present in Australia what do you think no there's definitely design um in Australia um is absolute world class and and especially um 
I lived in Melbourne for 10 years and studied there at Swinburne and it, and it really is world class. I mean, you've just got to look, walk around the streets and see the designs on on the walls with the graffiti and whatnot. Um, so it definitely wasn't that. I think the main factor was uh, that there are a very small amount of craft breweries, so they didn't have much competition. Um, they didn't have to do as much to stand out and be different. And um, I think just people's knowledge and and brewery owners' knowledge of branding just wasn't there. They didn't understand the importance of it um, and it should have just been enough to brew good beer and then it'll sell. Um, now, fast forward to now, we can see the in huge uh, explosion in the number of breweries. It is just one of the most high growth areas um, I can think of. Um, so we've gone from, you know, a handful of players to what are we at now? 700, 800. Um, so that's, that competition has pushed people to think about, oh, how can I capture my target audience? Who is my target audience? How can I tell my story better? How can I stand out on the shelf better when there's, you know, hundreds of other beers just as good as mine on the shelf trying to get that same attention? And how has it changed in terms of the conversation you had with breweries, you know, a few years ago, as opposed to now, because surely even now there'll be breweries thinking, this seems expensive to, <laughs> to, you know, I don't know whether to put the outlay into design and so on. How has that conversation changed in terms of people, um, are people coming to you now saying this is an essential part whereas perhaps did you have to do some persuasion and selling in the previous years yeah you're spot on there it was definitely um a harder sell even just you know three or four years ago just trying to explain to people the importance of, of branding I think we're at a stage now where most brewery owners understand the importance of branding they just don't understand quite how it works. But that's okay. They don't need to understand exactly how it works um, because that's what we're here for. But as long as they understand how important it is and vital to their success, um, that means I don't have to do as much persuading, <laughs> which, you know, after a while gets a bit tiring. Well, I think that it's one of those things that uh, maybe it's one of the failings of lots of industries and particularly hospitality it's like if you run a restaurant you often don't have the time to eat at other restaurants but that's exactly what you should be doing because you need to know the competition if you're brewing beer perhaps you don't always go to the bottle shop and look at what your competition is and what the design is doing but surely over the last you know three or four years there's been some brands out there who even if the beer hasn't been amazing, the branding has and they have just rocketed. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think that that um, sort of example being set sort of makes brewers and, and brewery owners sort of sit up and pay attention. And I think, you know, you don't necessarily have to be going out and trying all the beers um, for branding inspiration. You just have to look at your Instagram feed. So social media has definitely helped with that as well. And how much of it is personal? You know, when you're brewing beer or you make it, manufacturing something, it becomes your child. 
that you want. And, and your job is to put, give that child personality and a public face. Now that can, I imagine that can be quite difficult in some circumstances in terms of, you know, giving a, a beer or a brand personality. Is it a case that people generally have a strong in- inclination about what they want? Or is it a case that they just don't know? So you have to show them what's possible before they understand. What's that journey typically like? Um, it's actually quite varied. Um, you know, beer people are very interesting. They're quite unique. Um, and so, you know, there's lots of different people that we work with. I just did a, we, we do a brand discovery workshop, we call it, at the beginning of every brand uh, project where we, work through a number of things as vision, values, target market, purpose, their story, um, and a bunch of other stuff. Um, and this fellow is just completely new to the beer industry. Like he's just discovered it, um, and doesn't really know much about it at all. Or, you know, we're doing a rebrand with a, you know, super, super experienced brewer that's been there from the get go. Um, you know, so we have this really wide range of, of uh, people coming in. Um, So there's not really sort of a typical way to do it, but we come from the approach at Craft Instinct that we are designing for the target audience um, as opposed to designing to the brewery owner's personal taste because the target audience are the people that are going to be buying the beer. So um, it's good if the the brewery owner can... uh, appreciate the design and and even love it but it's more important that the audience that they're going after loves it so is it generally a consensus that you come to with the brewery because or is it persuasion that you have to really get the a design that you really believe in because you know about design and you know this is going to work but you've got to persuade the brewer to get over the line or do you generally come to a consensus where you're you're happy um before it or you go through with it? Um, there's definitely times where persuasion is needed. Um, and one of the main reasons why we do the brand discovery workshop at the start is from the very start, we try and get the uh, brewery owner um, to appreciate um, the target audience and to try and see um, things from the target audience perspective. And we do a series of exercises to try and get them into that mode of thinking. Um, so it's not just all based on personal taste. Um, and then our, our method is to also use mood boards as well. So before we actually start on any sort of aesthetic, we create mood boards, we get them to send us brands that they like, colours, textures, and then we also put together what we think will be suited for the brand and we come up with visual territories. And then once they've signed off on a visual territory that they're happy with, then we'll go and make a design based on that. So we've already sort of covered style and and colours and, and aesthetics. Um, so when we actually do get to designing the design, we all are on the same page with with how we're what direction we're going in and that that's really helpful and makes the process a lot more efficient that's great because that's that's a really comprehensive approach i think um the maybe from the outside looking in there's a sense that you know somebody just says can you please design this can (laughs) 
I'll see you in two months. <laughs> but, I, but that seems so much more uh, conducive to to yeah, getting a consensus and getting a brand as well. That you know, we talked about that personality about and beers do take on personalities um, and brands do as well. So and people do buy into those. Can you talk a little bit about how you get a distinctive brand? But when you when you're in a sector such as craft beer, where there's so many beers potentially in a year, or there's limited releases, there's core range. Can you tell me a bit about how do you actually knit those together? Because that they on the outside looking in seem like very disparate things. You know that you could be releasing a sour beer and then releasing a, a Russian Imperial Stout, but under the same brand. Mm. That's quite seems quite a challenge from the outside looking in. Yeah, I think um, there's there's different sorts of beer drinkers and the nature of uh, the limited release in craft beer is you're um, usually marketing towards, uh, you know, a quite a craft savvy um, consumer, whereas with your core range um, that usually has a pale ale and a lager and an IPA, it's more, um, you know, leaning towards a mainstream audience so the audience is slightly different idiots is that what you said (laughs) (laughs) no 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 no. um yeah so the audiences are slightly different and i think um you know that craft savvy audience or beer nerds as we like to call them in the industry (laughs) um that's offensive uh, (laughs) too idiot is it no it it was unfair Mm. not idiot because core range beers really do the heavy lifting in terms of revenue for for breweries yeah. they're so important they to that they, they're the ones that keep things going keep the lights on but how do you then you've got your core range which you're at, you know, marketing to that mainstream audience but mm-hmm. then you've got these spin-off yeah which so they're almost like sub brands really um because they're they're a brand in themselves and they're their their job is different to the to the core range um so that's sort of that's the approach that that we take uh, with those. Because then you've got, obviously, those uh, limited releases, they're the ones that are going to be on Instagram. They're the ones that are ticking the excitement. They're the ones that gabs. They're the ones that really uh, are mixing things up or experimental. But one day, they may also be in the core range. True. Yep, they can, if they make the mark. Um, then And also, if they're sort of, you know, have that mass appeal kind of... Um, taste to them they could get into the core range um it's not sort of like a one-size-fits-all strategy different breweries do it differently um but there is like the sort of I guess it's the standard way of doing things is core range limited release brand extension where you might do a sub-brand like with um Hargraves Hill and the Pursuit of Hoppiness for example very different look and feel to their core range um, but that gets them the attention, like you said, and they're experimenting. And the brewers are having fun too. Um, so, uh, yeah, so that, that approach is it's just, a, it's just a different sort of approach for depending on what you want to do as your um, release structure. I think that's really smart as well from a, a consumer as well. If you are locked into a core range and you trust the brand and a limited release comes along, which is on the challenging end of things but it looks like core range and you try it it might undermine your trust 
in the rest of the core range. So it, it is kind of important perhaps to differentiate it from the core range so that a consumer knows that's probably going to be a bit too challenging for me or <laughs> I don't want to waste $12 on a can. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it, it is a really uh, interesting balance. But we'll talk a bit about some of the brands that you've worked with uh, shortly. But let's get into the designs that changed everything for you. Okay. Uh, choice one. This might be a little bit of a stock standard one for some people, but it really did have quite a profound impact on the beginning of my design journey. And it's Sierra Nevada Parallel, which I'm sure most of your listeners will be very familiar with. Yeah. And it's also been one of the beers that changed people. One of the most popular ones on the podcast as well. Ah, so the contents inside this bottle <laughs> are significant. Yeah. But let's talk. We've never really talked about the design of Sierra Nevada Parallel. So this is going to be fascinating. Yeah. So the design is uh, Sierra Nevada the brand is in a yellow scroll um, and it's positioned on a bright green background with, a, I guess, kind of a little framed picture of a little stream and going into a valley and it's got bunches of hops and barley, um, sort of like a bouquet at the side of it. And it sounds like quite obvious now in today's design terms you know put some hops and barley on it and then we'll call it a beer um but the impact that it had when I first saw it with my fresh little eyes um uh when I was first in Canada well before I started designing the beers as well was um absolute beauty it was at that stage where you know in Australia most of the beer label designs look like either homebrew or it was VB or Carlton Draft. But the craft beer uh, label designs are very much of what we would see as a homebrew label standard today. So um, coming over to Canada and seeing Sierra Nevada Pale Ale standing out on the shelf was quite impactful. Its design is, I guess, a almost like a turn of the century um, feel to it. It's very old-timey. Um, it's got purest ingredients and finest quality in sort of old-timey text that you might see on a old antique store or something. But the impact of that label and the, the especially the scroll um, was uh, felt in my first uh, beer label design, which I now look back on and shudder. Uh, when I started designing for Big Rock Brewery in Canada. Um, and that was this was one of the, uh, the labels that we had as part of um, our inspiration for that one. So, yeah, so it did, did have a big impact um, at, at the start for me. It's really interesting. Just we've got a picture of it up here that we're both looking at. And it, it's such a strange success story, this, because it's almost like... I've never really looked at it and thought about it, <laughs> but it's so distinctive, mm. but it, it, it's it got elements in it which shouldn't work. Uh, so, so many of the mistakes of those early labels mm. was too many words, mm -hmm. uh, kind of complicated, convoluted, mm. too much in the, in the one label. It's not distinctive, but this somehow manages to balance all of those things. It's got lots of wor uh, words and letters up at yeah, the top on the neck of the bottle. They've even put their... Beard and bottled by Sierra Nevada Brewing Co. Um, and their little address at the bottom there on the front of the label. 
which is, you know, unheard of. Yeah. <laughs> and I think one of the things that really um, stands out for this and, and the cap, the colour of the cap plays a part as well, I think. But the thing that stands out is that this is authentic. Mm, mm-hmm. Like it looks like where it's from or where yes. you imagine it's from. Yeah, where you imagine it's from for sure. And the, the green, the colour of the green um is so vibrant and fresh you can almost smell a hop when you look at that color green and the gold or or kind of desert color Mm -hmm. sierra nevada Mm -hmm. and you can imagine um you know pushing through those saloon doors yeah and that being on the bar yeah it's sort of that that genuine it's definitely an american flavored old-timey rather than you know maybe a victorian flavored old-timey design um, that's just that classic, almost uh, nostalgia-evoking layout. I'll be inter- interested to find out your viewpoint or, or your approach on this because obviously cans have taken over. But with with a bottle design, how much are you taking into consideration the colour of the bottle? Because one thing that strikes me about this is that the contrast between the brown and the green really stands out but presumably if you're working on a screen you might only be have the label up without the brown in the in the background of the bottle or how does that work oh i learned that lesson early on when i designed a brown background label (laughs) that went on a brown beer bottle once it didn't work (laughs) um yeah whenever we're designing on bottles it's definitely the first thing that comes to mind and you can definitely just like you said use it to your advantage just get those real contrasty colors to, to a brown. And in terms of um, real estate, on the you've got uh, a front label, potentially a back label, a neck label. Uh, what's, what's the relationship between that? And do you divide them up in any kind of systematic way where this is for this information, this is for this? Obviously, you've got to get the barcode on. You've got to get some uh, legislative... Um, requirements met yes how do you kind of divide that um well we're uh, we're we're, we work a lot with um cans mainly these days uh and generally speaking um breweries prefer like just a full wrap label on a bottle rather than a front and a back and a neck um so we're doing very little i think we've done two two on bottles in the last year and then everything else has been a can. Um, bottles actually have a lot less real estate than cans. Um, even though you can put a neck label on, a front and back, the actual size of the real estate is much smaller. Cans are a full wrap. You've got pretty much a whole canvas to work with um, that covers the entire can except for the top and the bottom. Um, so you can do a lot more with it in terms of... Um, I guess, like landscapes or detailed illustrations, um, patterns, all that, that sort of stuff, yeah. I saw a tweet uh, yesterday from uh, an Irish craft brewery and it said, we are now brewing our the main beer in, and we're putting it in cans uh, and it will taste the same <laughs> as in a bottle. And I thought that was so curious <laughs> that um, that battle is still being fought. <laughs> Um, in parts of, you know, Irish craft brewing is through the roof. I mean, they've, I think they've got more craft breweries per capita, uh, than anywhere I think now. Wow. 
but they're still having that battle. That battle. You work it's with tradition. Yeah, but you work. You work with a lot of um, regional breweries. Mm-hmm. As as that being a consideration at all? Do you have to market? I know, like Bridge Road, for example, they will they'll still do bottles because that's generally what the regional market wants as a generalization mm-hmm. and cans for the city <laughs> um has that been a consideration or has that been anything that's no happened? not 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 particularly um i think there's sort of from from my experience it's not been so much regional and city it's been sort of more traditional and 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 modern um you know i actually you know sometimes enjoy drinking out of a bottle it's fun and rarely enjoy drinking out of a can um but Neither as good as drinking out of a glass, as we all know. Um, but, yeah, I think also, this is going to sound silly, but I think movies and TV shows have an influence on the keeping the bottle market alive too because you see, you see it a lot, especially in American movies with the, you know, the Budweiser-style beer, knock it off, suck it down. It just looks good looks way better than drinking out of a can. So I think that's sort of keeping that alive as well. Yeah, it's interesting. I've been uh, watching The Secret Life of Us uh, oh, on Netflix wow. recently. wow, blast I, from the past. I did watch it uh, <laughs> on Channel 4 back in the UK when it came out because it was made in conjunction, I think, with Channel 10. Uh, it was on a very odd late time spot on a Thursday night in the UK. And they always drank out of VB, the the grenades. Ugh. Um and to me back then, it was the most exotic thing. Oh my god! And that's I was so like, funny. Oh, the day I, the day the I day... get to drink a VB just oh like my... Evan. <laughs> oh my goodness, that is so funny. And the supermarket, my local supermarket in the UK, uh, they started to stock VB. This is years later, and I bought a six pack of them probably cost a lot more than the local <laughs> beer and I convinced myself it was amazing yeah um but yeah it does show that you know there's something about because it can uh you can't see liquid no where there's a sense in a in a bottle that that kind of the way the liquid comes at you from that long distance in a bottle is all that kind of, <laughs> I don't know there's and I suppose this you know anecdotally people say bottles in a restaurant uh, still seem you know cans have still got that yeah you know how long that will last I suppose I don't know but um, particularly when the can designs are so attractive yeah I think a tall can as well with a with a really nice design can sit easily next to a bottle on a on a nice restaurant table yeah absolutely um this is great I'm enjoying this very much <laughs> um <laughs> we can talk about secret life us later um <laughs> choice two so 33 Acres is a tiny little brewery in Vancouver. Um, they opened when I was living there and I was just so besotted with their design and their, their brand um, as a whole. They have, it's pretty much just white. Just everything is white. When you go and visit their brewery, it's all white. Um, with a photograph um, in a circle on each of their beers and that's what distinguishes the beer. The one that um, I've chosen for today is called 33 Acres of Life that uses, um, I think it's the inside of a shell or it might even be a snail's shell. Uh, I guess it's sort of cut across the top and you've got that beautiful swirl going in that is that magic 
um, ratio of 3.3333333, which links back to 33 acres of life. And it's just all rather beautiful and ingenious. And the cleanliness of the design is what really got me at at that time in Vancouver. I'd never seen anything like it before. And the text is very minimal, very clean. Um, And I guess they've probably come out in cans now, but when I first bought them, they were just in um, the big bomber bottles or long necks as we call them here in Australia. And those long neck bottles have a huge amount of real estate in terms of um, a label. Uh, So it was just super prominent and um, quite striking because the front of the label was literally just this circular shell image and it's just black and white uh, photograph on a stark white background and it's uh it's hard to describe now that we're sort of you know we're we're doing a podcast here and it's not a video um I'm doing my best but if you want to look it up 33 acres and the the uh the beer is 33 acres of life and it's just stunning it it strikes me as this um design is very brave it's so as you say so clean and clear one of the things that strikes me about this is you said earlier about story about how important and this podcast is largely about story is about getting people's story um you know making that real and your job is largely making that story uh, and getting that story out to consumers about breweries about how they started about you know, their authenticity and so on and the um, provenance, like their ingredients, what, who they are, what they do, um, why they're special, why you should buy their product. Mm -hmm. Story is so important. And that's why in the early days of craft, we saw so much um, literature on bottles (laughs) and, you know, some brands who really want their story out there, um, mentioning known names like James Squire have lots <laughs> of words on their bottle because they're really trying to enforce that story mm-hmm. of who they are. Mm-hmm. This is the opposite. Mm. But to me, this is much more intriguing because you see a brand like this where there's so little information, a mind like mine says, I need to find out more about. So when you're designing that's a balance isn't it how how much information you give to inform the consumer but how much intrigue do you you know how many crumbs do you lead exactly leave to get them to the yeah sometimes when we're we're designing um a label the client might be like oh we don't have all the information on the front it's like it's okay the we've designed it in a way that where what we're aiming for is the customer to want to pick it up to find out more and that's when you get that engagement. That's crucial, isn't it? I mean, the the idea of, and there's probably lots of psychology beyond my pay grade, uh, which is about how do you get that beer in somebody's hand? Because once you've got it in their hand, surely the chance of them purchasing that must increase percentage-wise. Have you got any secrets to how you do that? Have you? Well, I'm not obs- going to give away all my secrets. <laughs> have you observed it? Have you have you been to a bottle shop where people are looking and and have you, do you kind of be the creep creepy? in the corner? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. it'd be so tempting to do that. Like if I was in your shoes, I would. I probably would spend 
most of my hours <laughs> the bottle shop. <laughs> we 100% do that. We, we actually do a service where we do a, a shelf audit and part of it is observing customers and what they're picking up. And, you know, we're also completely profiling the customers as well and stereotyping them, you know. And what do you find? What, what do you find? Is, it, is, it, is there ever any, is there a surprise because I imagine that you could probably, you and I could sit here and work through a list of <laughs> stereotypes and craft beer uh, people. Is there any ever like surprises that you, you're like, oh, I didn't pick that one? Um, yeah, yeah, a lot of the time, actually. Um, and a lot of time there's not. But I think um, a lot of what we do is assumption, um, but it's assumption based on experience. Uh, but you can always, I think that's just going to be the never-ending game of trying to guess what the customer's thinking. The customer doesn't even know what they're thinking. It's all subconscious thought. Um, so we can really dive da- deep down into the psychology of that. Uh, but at the end of the day, it really comes down to the individual, what mood they're in, what sort of day they've had, if they're just running in and are they're in a hurry and they just want to grab something quickly or if they're in the mood to browse or if they like blue or you know it's like so many variables <laughs> blue the color or blue the music acts <laughs> either or everything can influence the perching decision <laughs> i would hate for anybody to observe me in a in a bottle shop i think um i look so intently and then pick up it every can that I might buy and look at the canned on date. Like people think I work there. I think even the like I'm rearranging the shelves. And it's like, I've been, been banned from some bottle shops. But yeah, that is fascinating. Uh, I suppose it, it is an essential part of, you know, that block out as well is how do you mm. cans look together. Mm-hmm. I suppose Bolter were probably one of the the most notable people to start that lock out in fridges yeah um because that's a difficult thing as well isn't it is you, your can might look fantastic on a single shot on instagram but completely lost in the fridge is that yeah all the time that happens all the time so how do you combat that um be better <laughs> <laughs> think about where you where your design's gonna sit context is everything yeah i think that the block out thing's really good but it only works if the bottle shop happens to um organize their cans in terms of brands rather than style so it works in some instances but not in others and so your relationship with the sales rep of the breweries Mm -hmm. that's quite a crucial step isn't it because the sales rep they're the ones going out saying to the bottle shop don't put it there can you put it here or they might be one saying this will sell best if you do this with it yeah I don't really we don't have we don't work with the sales reps in in term in terms of that I don't know how much say they have in how the bottle shop organizes their shelves as much yeah I think you should work with them get them in <laughs> get, get learn them how to uh bully uh bottle shop owners and <laughs> get whatever it's very di- it's a it's all relationship based, isn't it? Yeah. It's very difficult to navigate this. There's so many um, hurdles to climb. I, I'm just discovering this as this conversation is okay. going on. <laughs> I haven't really given this a huge amount of thought yeah. before, but just from what you've said, the all these things, considerations mm. that again, it goes back to what we were saying earlier that you, you know, from one respect, you just say, "Can you please design this?" and I'll see you later. 
but then when you build those relationships in there's so many there's so uh, many factors so many factors yeah and, and so then another thing that comes up in the shelf audit as well is we do a little um, exercise where we have our backs to the fridge and then we jump and turn around and then pick out what design stands out first and it's always the design that's in your line of sight so position on the shelf up or down or straight in front is crucial and and that's you know a commonly known thing in supermarkets where they place the brands that they want to sell in the line of sight and then you no one looks up or down can i please request any listeners to this podcast can you please do that in the bottle shops (laughs) (laughs) particularly drive through bottle shops on a friday night could you please do that um yeah fascinating that i saw in my local bottle shop Pride or Vice stomping ground had a very they they must have good negotiation skills because in this bottle shop from when you walk in the door they have a, a rainbow which runs all the way to where the Pride of Vice sits oh, in the that fridge is smart that which is, is very smart subconsciously you're just driven <laughs> to it and uh, I I had like a four pack in my hand and I was like I don't I don't even want this. <laughs> I, don't, I don't like this style of beer and I'm not gay. What is going on? <laughs> it's, it's very much a psychology of pokies, isn't it? It's just like yeah. you just, you know, all your grandchildren's inheritance is gone before, <laughs> you know. Um, fa- fabulous choice, this one. Uh, really striking. And, and again, that top and tail of the white bottle top I think bottle tops can really play a part other than just that crown seal of gold, which we're normally used to. Yeah. So good. Um, Choice three. Choice three is Killer Queen by Counterculture. I saw this label and almost fainted with um, envy and shock at how awesome it was. When sometimes as a designer, you just see stuff, I think, sort of any person that's remotely related to the arts might be able to relate with this feeling that when you're creating something you think it's awesome and then you see something else and you're like I am nothing (laughs) (laughs) I think you're so right every any creative people musicians they'll see somebody else play and say well I can never achieve that comedians do the same artists do the same I was listening to the uh crack the ceiling podcast with Tiff and Lindsay uh, last night I was just like they're like th- four episodes in they're way better than- <laughs> just like oh why are they <laughs> so good pros <laughs> yeah like- um so this this design is just beautiful um it's a card like a playing card and it's the queen and because it's a um raspberry berliner vice she's got her sword with uh raspberry growing through it and lots of red that kind of looks like blood and from the not so impressed look on her face it could be blood I think um the way it's executed is um in a in a print style so it's very uh the thick lines um it's got a a real handcrafted sort of feel uh, it's just badass. It speaks to my um, sense of um, empowering women um, and the fact that it's called Killer Queen and she's killed this raspberry, obviously, and holding it up 
with a badass look on her face um, just makes it an all-round winner for me. And because of the, the card layout, it's, you know, it's got the double faces that sit one's upside down one's the right right way up like it's a like it's a queen card but then it's actually got k and k above the heart so to stand for killer queen but even though that could be seen as a king too so it's all very clever and striking this speaks to so much uh that i love about good design where it's striking and distinctive you want to pick up this can and find out more that ticks all the boxes but it also leverages something that's very familiar to us mm. but makes it new yeah and the the emotion as well in this where the queen is looking <laughs> and in when you're in the the bottle shop um and you've just jumped around <laughs> <laughs> and those eyes are piercing you yeah and you might go walk along and ignore it and then you come back and she's still looking at you yeah that is and she's looking at you and with a face it's like is that all you got like do you really want to fuck with me like I just love it it's so much attitude um and the yeah the lino print execution is one I really love as well the beer itself was also just outstanding I did like a total hype girl thing with this beer and I was up in Melbourne one day and I was like, this is my chance to get it. And I went to five different bottle shops. Nobody had it. And I ended up forking out for it big time at Heartbreaker. They sell takeaway cans there. And I was like, well, I'm just going to get it. And I think it was $18 a can and I got three cans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was It was like 7.2% or something. It was, yeah. And it didn't taste like that. It no. was complex and fruity and the colour was sensational um the presentation of the beer um really really strong yeah I think this was the counterculture's launch beer as well so it was just it was just it had to be outstanding and it was and interesting again from a branding point of view it's stone and wood Mm -hmm. but it's not but it is it's a (laughs) sub brand -brand. it's a sub brand done really well um so you were there at the talk that I did at Good Beer Week when we talked about a house of brands uh, versus a, a branded house. And so so this is still a branded house because it, if you look at the counterculture logo, it does have the stone and wood logo in there. So the stone and wood logo is still present. It's still saying, yes, this is stone and wood, but this is obviously our limited release uh, sub-brand. And this comes back to, I think, what we were talking about earlier is that if you're a rusted-on Stonewood Pacific Ale drinker and you're not very adventurous but Stonewood Pacific Ale is great for you and you see that Stonewood also make this if you're feeling adventurous you trust in the brand and you'll branch out but also there's enough indicators to say this might not be for you yeah you know and then also it works the other way with um you know um craft savvy sort of people that might turn their nose up at stone and wood and say it's too boring and I can't taste the hops because I've killed my taste buds from drinking way too hoppy beers um that brings them in to the brand as well because this is a really interesting high alcohol limited release tall can beer that they love to drink too I get yeah the framing and yeah it's it I think also there's a lot to be said and I'll be interested on your take how do you um, portray 
particularly counterculture where the the price point is significantly higher as you found out i think that Um, was a heartbreaking yes yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) but even so it was still uh, significantly higher than your your core range beers oh yeah so how do you show luxury how do you show how do you portray to the customer that this is actually a a luxury purchase a prestige purchase Mm. it's not you know, there's a reason why you're spending a lot of money on this. How, how, what kind of elements do you do to get people to understand that just from the label? It, that, that's a tricky one. Um, I think some people would look at the Killer Queen label and think that's not luxury at all. Um, but when you're coming Idiots. from a, yeah, <laughs> obviously don't know what they're talking about. I think when you're coming from a craft beer world, luxury means a different thing. Mm. Um, It's hard to say if there's sort of a specific, you know, style that speaks to luxury, but I think definitely the tall cans, um, you know, and tall cans, if you think about it, they have only been around the last few years, but they speak of that um, more expensive purchase, often higher percentage alcohol, often using you know, expensive ingredients and whatnot. So I think it's the actual shape of the can, maybe more than the actual design. The design still has to be unique and awesome, don't get me wrong, but there's not sort of a specific style that speaks to luxury, I don't think. I, I think the reason I asked you the question is I think it's something that you do particularly well, a craft instinct, because, uh, for example, the, the Blackman's um, Stout Range which was oh the grandma uh, jeans yeah, looking at over yeah. your over your shoulder uh, the, the tiramisu and the vanilla choc mud cake those definitely spoke luxury and mm-hmm. dif- difference mm-hmm. um, that you're buying something I think the whole pursuit of happiness as well because they're clearly individually designed clearly effort has gone into them they do too and I think that uh, the use of um, metallic and um shiny <laughs> to be basic about it to be a magpie uh they also no, speak that's true, to actually. kind of that's luxury and yeah. um you know that this is something a little bit different and, yeah that's that's a good point yeah definitely know. the metallics and any sort of embellishment coming through um because it is a little bit more expensive so Jesse, I'm really enjoying this. Uh, <laughs> it's just, it feels like quite indulgent um, to do this podcast. Uh, so choice four. Uh, so choice four is Filter XPA. Um, it is a classic looking beer. And when I say classic, I mean Australian classic. It brings up feelings of nostalgia for yesteryear. Uh, it kind of looks like it would sit easily um, on the beer shelf in the early 70s to 80s, I'd say. Um, it's got that win- winny blue cigarette packet feel. Um, it's that coolness that it's so bogan that it's hipster. Um, and it's super clever in, uh, in its branding as well. Uh, the the angle that they've um, taken ownership over with the stripe and the just the sheer size of the filter um, text within that layout is super strong uh, and the the tagline seductively beer is just hilarious um, it's in a 
um, I guess it would be a font from the 80s, a Cooper Black style font that you would have seen on magazine advertisements for probably for cigarettes and booze back in the 80s as well. Um, so it's classic. It brings up feelings of, I guess, that yesterday was better than today. So I'm just going to take a little sip of yesterday. Um, but the beer is much better than, <laughs> than, uh, than that as well. And I, I must say as well, I think um, with a lot of these beer labels, the, the liquid inside is definitely um, a subconscious factor in me thinking the designs are great too because this beer is one of my faves. A filter, a fresh filter XPA um, is one of my top beers. That's really interesting, that relationship between what's actually inside a can and what's yeah. outside. What, you know, does the tail wag the dog or the yes. other way around? It's, um, but I agree that this is, uh, this is an iconic brand mm-hmm. before you know, how do you, it's almost felt like it was an iconic brand on day one of release. It felt, feels like it was an iconic brand before it was even designed. <laughs> like <laughs> yeah, yeah, it just yeah. looks like it's always been there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was always <laughs> that it was just like, Hey, why didn't you just discover me? Yes. Like it's all, it seems so fully formed, which is such an achievement from the designer. And, and yes, nostalgic, yes, cigarettes filter helps in that name, <laughs> filter cigarettes, um, <laughs> helps in that, um, but also, uh, th- this is quite brave in a respect um, because, again, so much of those older designs were saying we reassuringly look like beer, where this is not reassuring in the respect. It's reassuring in its brand because it seems familiar, but not for the beer category. It does seem like tobacco or per- perhaps something else. Maybe that's me because this is Australian and not. Yeah, um, I think I, grew up with in the I UK. think that might be it because this is sort of a classic-looking Australian beer um, from the seventies and eighties. Like if I showed mm. my parents this, they would think that they would think that this is just a brand that is from them. Yeah, that's so. It, it must be different. I think it's different in the UK. Yeah, yeah this absolutely. Is, this is what um, when you know, uh, you know, older Australian, usually males. Think of the good old days and why can't we just be back in the good old days? This is this is what that looks like to them, I think. <laughs> because they're gone, Bruce. They're gone. Those days are gone. Uh, we cannot return. The door is closed. Um, what's interesting about this as well is completely different design to Killer Queen, mm. but also leverages something that we're familiar with mm. to Interesting good point. effect because that card... Uh, which is a very old established thing, but this does the same, same brings an old familiar thing mm-hmm. back to life, modernizing it, making it relevant again. Interesting strategy from Filter as well, which you might be able to comment on how they've rolled out. Um, I suppose that that blue ribbon, the blue and gold ribbon that comes along, which is uh, very uh, familiar for on football uh, Guernseys as well. Yeah, true. Um, which they've rolled out on every can, I think, that they've released. Yeah. Um, probably, yeah. At, I'm not sure if the Hazy had it, but uh, certainly all their core all their range core, yeah. has that yeah. same diagonal line coming across. I also like on the, the, you know, the separation between the contrast between the brand, the brewery, Filter, and then the beer style. 
and then clearly the alcohol percentage, which I don't think is clear on every beer can, mm. which can be a little... I mean, it's more frustrating to me when decals on the tap don't have, don't have the, it. Oh, gosh, the percentage volume. Drives which me crazy. I think almost it should be mandatory. I don't. I hate to bring more regulation into it. There's no regulation on, on tap decals. No. So you can sort of do what you want. But, yeah, it's so frustrating because what if you need to drive? A lot of people need to drive when they're at the bar. And, yeah, so making informed choices is better. Um, so, yes, with filter, uh, you make a very informed choice because the alcohol percentage is very large in the layer. But that, going back to what you were saying about the core range, um, that's the beauty of this template is that it works. Fle- it's flexible enough to, you know, allow a bunch of different beer styles to work within it and then it has that really strong, consistent look and feel so you immediately know it's a filter beer we talked about killer queen being perhaps a an empowering brand uh design Mm -hmm. this as well as uh evoking comforting nostalgia for Mm -hmm. some uh it it also strikes me as quite a masculine brand Mm. Mm. how is that leveraged in the work that you do in consciousness of because most craft beer drinkers statistically a male so how do you balance that who when you make your target audience because you obviously want to grow the sector you want to bring people in but also you might want to give some people reassuring yeah um comfort um i say yeah bugger reassuring comfort <laughs> not not that not saying bugger filter design i love filter design Um, but it's really, really, really important, um, to have diversity managed as part of your business plan. And and part of that is what your designs look like. Filter, uh, designs are a little toward the masculine, but you'll find on their Instagram, all of their socials and all their advertising, they always feature women, always. And I think, I'm going to assume that part of that is because um, Sam, the owner, is a woman um, and and they're very careful with that. And I think um, although it could be seen as a masculine design, I think that a lot of women like masculine designs and I think that this is an issue that spans further than the beer industry. Um, I can't tell you how many times I'm so pissed off in a clothing store because all the guys' shirts, their prints are so awesome. And then you go to the girls' side and it's butterflies and flowers and just super lame-looking stuff. Um, So I think that, you know, it's 2021 and although you can definitely design a design that's going to feel a lot more masculine, I think that putting sort of hard barriers down on what's masculine, what's feminine these days, the lines are a lot more blurred. Um, And, you know, there's not just two genders, it's a gender spectrum. And I think design works in that same way as well. 100%. And I think that's going to be a challenge, not just in craft brewery, clearly society. Um, And yet whether we talk about these brands, uh, if they're on the masculine end of the spectrum then that doesn't stop people from enjoying them no. wherever they are. <laughs> yeah. Because, uh, yeah, 
Um, and also pockets. What's with women's clothes and pockets? No, what? No pockets? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I can't comment on that. <laughs> <laughs> terrible, terrible. Um, great choice. Again, feels iconic. Filter. Uh, I also love the colour scheme that they do and the gold adding a bit luxury as well, I think, um, on their it branding. Can, so. It could be adding luxury. It could be adding a little bit of bogan. Um, it depends on who's looking at it, really. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I'll, we'll err on the side of uh, luxury. Um, the bogan is a spectrum. So, <laughs> um, choice five. Choice five, it wouldn't be a proper design selection without featuring a one from Garage Project. Uh, the one that I'm looking at, Garage Project obviously has like a zillion, billion awesome designs that we could have included in this. This one's called Harmonic Convergence and I picked it from the shelf without even looking at what sort of beer it was because it was so damn beautiful and I just bought it without knowing. And then I was very happy to find out that it was a wild fermented sour, which appeals to my taste buds. Um, the design is a mama whale and a little baby whale sort of swimming past a giant crystal um, that has light shining from one end through to the other, sort of like a uh, like the prism kind of does on Pink Floyd, but not really anything like that at all. One of the most beautiful things about seeing this design in real life is that it has, I think it's almost holographic embellishments on it. So when you turn the can, it just pops. And because the imagery is of a crystal, it just, it feels magical. It was just, it's one of the most... Um, show-stopping designs I've seen uh, on a shelf. It just It's just so different to anything else out there. And I should say also that the, the way that the whales are executed and, and the whole, whole design is... They weren't killed, were they? Oh, no, not executed. <laughs> I mean uh, executed in terms of uh, what style they have been um, shown in, uh, that they are... A high, highly detailed, either it's a painting or a highly detailed um, sketch. It's just absolutely a work of art. And this design came number one in the New Zealand Gabs Can Design Awards last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and Deservedly so. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, it's just, it's just gorgeous. And then if you look at the flat can artwork... Um, there's another whale in the background and a little spaceship and you can sort of if you the more you keep looking at it the more detail you can find there's star constellations and lots of things going on um but yeah absolutely stunning this one this is a clearly a piece of art Mm. that really and i suppose these cans only come around once in a while where it really pushes the boundary or raises the bar of what is possible on a beer can because i think also in the in the craft when you're in craft it's like it's so easy to forget people still look down on cans mm-hmm. cans are still like mm-hmm. yeah you know why are you drinking out of a can this is nobody could deny that this is an exceptional piece of artwork and it's on a beer can, yeah. <laughs> which shows a huge amount of respect for 
the beer in the can. Yeah. <laughs> and what's possible? I, I think obviously this design takes a huge amount of uh, work and, and creativity and, and not everybody's capable of no. something like that. I think that's probably the measure of great any, any art form is it's never easy. <laughs> it is the result of really hard work. Also to kind of get the brand in to get all the information. This still has a lot of words mm. on. But, yeah, but they're, on the they're, tall can, the, the, the kind of hidden. Yeah, you can position them toward towards the back of the can. And yeah, it's funny because on the front of the can, it's just the Garage Project logo. There's no beer style. There's no ABV. So a lot of people, just like me, would have just picked it up and been like, I must have this. Not yeah. having a clue about the beer, but also it's got that garage project um, merit that you know it's going to be good because the garage, garage project. It's such a brilliant journey you've taken us on because some of those designs which are uh, reassuring or they they leverage something old or like uh, Sierra Nevada we've talked about. This is pure escapism. <laughs> yeah, it is. This is not uh, reassuring or, or or any of those. It's not leveraging kind of many of those things that we would cling to it's pure imagination yes and it's whales can, swimming around a giant crystal you kind of <laughs> yeah you kind of want to dive in with and him. escape into that beer yeah with that is such an achievement i think to, it is it and and garage project is just so far ahead of its game in terms of artwork in Australia and New Zealand and even even the world like it, it stands up on the world stage and the the investment involved in releasing you know single limited release beers like this um the amount of time and effort the artists would have had to put in and then even um producing it and printing labels with that sort of effect on it the cost mm. is huge and something that a lot of breweries aren't prepared to put up for a limited release, but um, they just back themselves every time and it's done very well for them. And we'll never get people to respect what's in the can if we don't respect what's on the sleeve on the, on the outside. Yeah, yeah. It's like if you went to, if you bought an expensive diamond ring and they gave it to you in a paper bag. <laughs> That's a it kind of, interesting. You know, yeah. it, it, it's, it needs to be in that luxurious setting yeah. for, for yeah. you to appreciate what's inside. And yeah. I think that is, this is a, a real benchmark example of just exceptional design. Mm-hmm. It, it's such a good choice. Mm-hmm. Choice six Choice six is um, an interesting one. Uh, it's one that I haven't had and I've never seen it in real life, but it's actually my favourite label design of all time. Uh, it was designed by an agency for the agency. So it's just all about design. It's called Bunash Ale and it actually has playing cards on it too, which is interesting. Uh, the label is a wraparound label on a bottle with a blue wax seal. And the wraparound label is made up of three different cards, like playing cards that are sort of overlapping each other. And they've got shadows in the overlap, so it sort of looks like a 3D kind of effect. It is 
an absolute uh, stunner in every respect. But the best thing about it is that you can actually read the title and the label. It's the whole label itself works upside down, and including the title Bunash, it reads Bunash both ways. Um, you might think of is it what um, what novel was it Dan Brown where they had the earth air fire wind and you can read them from both oh, yeah. directions yeah it it works the same way as those for the listener who's trying to visualize what the hell I'm talking about um, he wrote the Da Vinci Code in here Dan Brown that was him yeah, yeah yeah is it Da Vinci Code yeah yeah I never read it no but, no oh it's a beautiful trash yeah. it's wonderful. <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah, so the, the, this label is genius because it works, you can read it upside down. Um, even the word ale is, uh, is, um, designed so you can read the word ale upside down and it reads both ways. It's so clever. Um, again, on a playing card, which is interesting, I must have a thing for playing cards. Um, that I've just realized at this very moment, um, it has a beautiful blue feather um, running up one one side. It's a honey and elderflower ale, so maybe the blue is representing the elderflower. Um, and then you go to the wraparound. Um, you've got the three cards. The, the front card is showing that Bu Nash um, label that you can read from any direction. And then the second card along I guess is showing the reverse of a card which has got an incredible um, imagery that's executed in a old-timey print I think it would be a lithographic printing um, piece and it's got an eye in the center with a whole bunch of it looks like a sort of scope I guess in, in in a circle with bees and honey and hops and a tuba and dice and a whole bunch of random things surrounding it. And then the third card is positioned, I guess it would be positioned on the back of the bottle and it works in the same way as the front and you can uh, read it from any direction uh, with the text going in a circular motion. Um, And it is just a complete work of art and I think it should be in a museum. It's it hurts my brain a bit to even <laughs> contemplate this. It's, it is a masterful um, beer design. I think what, what's interesting the the whole upside turning things upside down and making that work so well obviously takes a lot of skill and, and thought and planning. But then you've got that that front label on the bottle would be enough. But then there's the sense that the when you spin the bottle around seeing that the eyeball looking at you that's almost like you've gone from being outside of the party and then you're now inside the party <laughs> and pro- probably the other one when you spin it around further that you've been kicked out of the- <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's such a ju- like this is a really good example i think of being able to take people on a journey from the from the purchase point right through to finishing the beer and possibly beyond because this yeah. is a beer bottle that you'd be reluctant to throw away. No, you wouldn't. And you just, I just wish I could have it in real life and just stare at it while sipping the beer because it's one of those ones that you just, and, and, and I don't think anyone 
any human would pour this beer bottle and throw it away without a second glance. It's actually impossible to ignore it. It's almost one of those beers that, you, you know, you're scared to open falls into that category of like <laughs> because the 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 blue wax yeah is, the blue wax at is the top. so distinctive mm-hmm. again l- luxurious mm-hmm. and then the design mm-hmm. it speaks to all of those things the color scheme as well is very delicate mm-hmm. as well it's it's not that they've used really standout bright colors no it's so uh delicate and and intricate it's it's really fantastic um i will have to put these pictures off because there's going to be people listening you can't appreciate who are kind it. of thinking just what? i would need to see this <laughs> yeah. i need to see this and yeah. you do need to see it um actually play out because it, it, it's so um so interesting and again we talked about it with the garage project but this one in terms of raising the bar in terms of what we should be aspiring to uh, obviously every can and bottle can't be this. Well, um, yeah, it goes back to that target audience though. Like if this brewery's target audience was, you know, a Joe Blow that lived in regional Victoria and like smashing mm-hmm. tinnies with his mates on a Saturday night, um, you wouldn't sell any beer. <laughs> so it's it all goes back to that. Look, it would be uh, a luxurious party uh, to have a uh, slab of oh my goodness. slab of this just thrown them over your shoulder. Um, but yeah, what what type of beer is it? Do we know? Um, honey and elderflower ale. Goodness. Yeah, but this 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 design, I think I first came across it oh, very well, maybe six or seven years ago. Like it's been around for a while, and I've always had it in the back of my head. One day, one day I'll design something like this. You know, it's it's very rare this is the case, but um, I think this this is a beer that you'd buy, you'd open it up, and you'd even if it was terrible, you convince yourself it was good <laughs> because <laughs> yeah. the design is so good that you yeah, and it's probably cost you a fortune. You're probably just like, I'm going to enjoy this beer, yeah, <laughs> even if it's not <laughs> the mm, best thing. Delicious. <laughs> <laughs> Is very rare. I can say that because I'm I'm very willing to be critical of um, of quality of beer, uh, despite the price point. Probably because of the price point in mm. some respects, but um, just remarkable uh, to look at. I mean, you could stare at that all day and mm-hmm. and then turn up turn the computer screen upside down and start again. <laughs> yeah, but really fascinating. And um, Jesse, landing you in this right at the end of the podcast here, we mm-hmm. I. I should have told you as well that we, you do get to choose a receptacle to drink these beers out of. What is your oh. favourite glass or or do you drink straight out of the can or what no, is it? No. Have a think about that. And also a snack oh, uh, that you snack. enjoy mm. with beers. Okay. But before we talk about that, um, right at the end of the podcast here, we, we were going to talk about this before. Mm-hmm. But we've talked about so many things. It's been so much fun. During Good Beer Week, there was a, a story that broke on Crafty Pint which is very confronting. There was also uh, recently Rat Magnet in the US, um, which brought a whole heap of stories really in a uh, deep end of uh, people's experience in the in the craft beer industry. And we'll point out that it's very much a societal thing, but it, it is happening in craft beer, despite the fact, as you said in, at the start, it's a, it's a good industry full of good people. 
not everybody is good. No. Um, I know it's one of your passions. Can you talk to um, maybe about that experience uh, yourself, if you're comfortable with that? Um, and also what the way forward is, you think? Because if it strikes me as we talk now, this is probably a real turning point moment if we want it to be. But I also think that there's probably been many turning point moments in the past which haven't ended up being turning points. They've just been a continuation of she'll be right, we'll leave it for another day. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know that's a lot to load on you no, right at the okay. end of the... <laughs> no, no, love it, love it. Um, well, first of all, I'll, I'll say that it's not just... I guess, women in the beer industry that I'm passionate about, although I love it. Um, it's more about diversity in the beer industry and that a very large part of that is uh, women. Um, diversity in the beer industry, diversity anywhere, diversity in the world works better. When you're planting your veggie garden, diversity works better. Um, and, and it's sort of a no-brainer that it just should be applied all around no mono mo, no monocultures when farming diversity when farming same yeah. as in the beer industry um yeah it was interesting that stuff coming out during a uh, good beer week and that being very front of mind being at the AIBAs and looking around and thinking wow there's so many white guys just just endless, endless white men in this industry. Not that there's anything bad about being a white man, um, but just that the lack of other people that aren't white men in the industry um, is sad. And, and why is that? Is it because it's not a welcoming industry? No, we, I bloody love this industry. I'm passionate about it. Um, I love the people that um, are made up of it. But there's got to be a barrier there that that is stopping, um, you know, women, uh, people of colour, um, people of, you know, just different genders. Uh, yeah, so what, what's the barrier there? Um, and then having those thoughts at the same time as, you know, the beer industry having its own Me Too moment um, and thinking, shit, we've got some work to do and not, Palming it off, going, oh yeah, exactly what you said before. She'll be right. It'll, it'll, you know, change in its own time. No, it won't change in its own time. We've literally been waiting all of human existence for this to change for women and, um, you know, non-binary people. Um, and so we have to act. It's, it's, and the first part of acting is talking about it. So I appreciate you asking me this at, at the end of the podcast. Um, a lot of the stuff that came out of the States, if you read some of the stories, they're, uh, extremely confronting, um, stuff. And I think, um, I think it's really important for the men in the industry to get around that and to read some of these stories and appreciate that that's not just a thing that happens in the States, but it's what happens here and also appreciate the seemingly impossible situation that as a as a, a woman or a non-conforming person you can find yourself the situations you find yourself in um should something happen to you 
in the workplace or at a beer event or whatever, um, you have very little choice in calling it out or acting upon it. Um, if it's a sexual harassment or sexual assault, um, you can either go to the police, um, which starts off a whole chain of events that you probably don't want to fucking deal with because it's a traumatic experience as it is, um, or you can go to fair work if it's in, in your workplace. Um, but even then, that triggers off a whole chain of events. Often um, women and women that I've spoken to and been in contact with just want that person that's the perpetrator, often a man, to be held accountable and have consequence. But without going to the police, there is literally zero consequence for these people. So they just keep doing it and doing it and doing it. And more and more people are getting... um, not just it's not just about the assault but it's about the psychological effect and the trauma effect for the rest of their lives and it's just complete bullshit and the fact that these people are often celebrated people in our industry is just you know the cherry on top so yes it's a huge problem and yes we need to face it as an industry and It is also a very tricky one because um, you may have noticed the absolute silence in the industry since those um, things that you pointed out before came out, like the Crafty Pony interview and the stuff that happened in the States. Um, Barely any breweries have said anything. If you look at other things like when the bushfires happened or when whatever happened or COVID happened, everyone, breweries are always got something to say, but the silence is stunning on this issue and I think um, I think breweries are scared because it is so widespread that they probably are worried that it is happening in their brewery and if they go out and say something then they're going to, um, you know, have their day of uh, reckoning one day. Um, but uh, I am working with a group of um women at the moment to uh you know slowly make some change and we've recognized that it's not just sort of something that we can do a b and c and then it will be fixed it's it's an actual what we're trying to do is actually change culture and um we've resigned to the fact that this is probably going to be a generational thing um that isn't going to change until the next generation comes through but if we don't do the work now, it's not going to change. So there's a lot of uh, responsibility on on our shoulders um, when you think about it like that. What I would personally love to see, though, is I'd love to see some men doing something about it and not just waiting for women to act. Like, I'd love to see some organisation from, from men. Um, I think there's so many good men out there that can really have great influence on um on the industry and it would be awesome if it wasn't just again women trying to fix things that is very true um you covered a lot there um which is very sobering and i think we good men can do things i think one of them is acknowledging 
that this is a crisis. Like you said, it compared it to bushfires and compared yeah. it to it's a crisis because people are living this day to day. It's affecting their work. It's affecting their home life because of the behaviors of the unnecessary and uncalled for behaviors of their colleagues and people in the industry. Beer should be a safe space. Mm. It should not be a safe space for people who behave in that way towards other people. And so we need to make it an unsafe space for those perpetrators and make it a safe space for people who just want to go to work safely and go home and achieve what they can achieve. Because like you said at the start of this end bit, which is probably the most <laughs> significant bit of the podcast, I, I'm, I feel guilty at doing this at the end of the podcast, but I also feel like we're probably getting more out of it by doing it at the end um, rather than saying, oh, what's your first can design? <laughs> um, but I think we can do something about it. I think there's so many systems breweries and organizations can put into place about reporting internally. As you said, it's not always a police incident. I mean, the, that escalation is no. huge, yeah. hugely significant. But also that breweries have to realize and organizations generally that that person who you report to, there needs to be safeguards that there isn't just one person or it isn't the owner of that business because mm. they could be the perpetrator. Yeah. Or they could be best buds with the perpetrator. Like, he's a good guy. I'd never do that. There are so many lessons to be learned which haven't been from the experiences of Australia in the last 10 years. There's so much that has been done that we could learn from but as you say you actively need to go and do it mm. talk is cheap um says the man who's doing the podcast <laughs> uh, no, I, I disagree with that i i think talking about it is the vital first step and i think it, it's such a um uh taboo topic and um it's kind of like you know, you don't want to be at that one at the party that's talking about climate change and how we're all going to die. But it's very important <laughs> to talk about and acknowledge and not continue living the way that we are. It's, 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 a, it's a topic like that. So it's, it's definitely a downer. <laughs> but it's so vital to talk about it if we want to see change. And it's just always swept under the rug. Um, it's... It's a problem with society. It's definitely not the just the fear industry. I mean, you just look at, um, you know, look at Canberra and Parliament House. It's it's mm. absolutely entrenched. So it's going to take a cultural change and a mind, complete mindset change. Um, but it does start with talking. Mm. The points of diversity that you mentioned before, I think if if people aren't safe going to work, if we don't create the scenario that where anybody can come into the industry, we are going to lose so much talent. That's when stop progressing. We stop drinking that nice beer. We stop <laughs> having that new innovation. We stop, you know, so from a purely set, if you just like good beer and you're listening to this, from a purely selfish point of view, diversity is the best thing <laughs> yeah. to get what's in your glass or what the can design looks like or how you're treated when you go into a brewery. That is the critical 
thing that we need diversity to make better beer we need it to be healthier as a as a people as a society i i feel like craft beer has taken this so much to heart in lots of respects because we feel like we should be doing something about it but also that we can some industries like i don't think in parliament house they're too worried because they're like oh we've you know they're so entrenched whereas craft beer does so well on on so many other issues as you said yeah and that's why i'm so proud to be part of this industry as well um so it was disappointing to to have the the silence that we did after those uh after those articles came out and i think some of that silence is um as you said is is that fear that the finger's going to be pointed at us yeah and i also think some of that silence is down to anxiety of, of am i saying the right thing yes like i think you definitely it shouldn't have been you know the the articles released one day and then you know breweries or every single brewery does a pledge the next day without thinking it through and what they're saying and and seeking advice um as well um so i do understand that people need time to gather themselves but you know it's been how long now six weeks that's enough time right and i also think that a lot of it is you don't always need to just go on social media and and do a post if what your organization doesn't reflect that in who you've employed Mm. in oh no it's just not just about a post it's it's about you're posting about what your business is going to do to create change Mm. just like with the bushfires you would post that you are donating a keg to Everybody who drinks this keg, the profits are going to the mm. bush or whatever. It's just you have a strategy and then you post about it. Um, and the posting shows solidarity and it um, gives confidence to people that have been affected as well. Yeah. And I think also um, the, the reassurance of having your your voice heard as well is it's 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 not normal if we carry on going like we are this isn't not it's not how things should be no um it shouldn't be normal but maybe it has been mm. yeah choice seven <laughs> <laughs> snack snack and receptacle okay receptacle tulip glass all the way um you'll notice that it is part of the Craft Instinct logo. Um, that's how much I love tulip glasses. Um, and snack, salt and vinegar chips. Nice. Mm. Mm-hmm. Not a big, I'm personally not a big snack while drinking beer, but salt, salt and vinegar. vinegar chips. Perfect, yeah. yeah. That is reassuring nostalgia mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. a good way. Mm-hmm. My, my mouth's watering, actually. <laughs> it's just chips. Just, it just makes your cheeks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Look, Jesse, we could talk and talk. I love this podcast recording with you. Uh, the journey of uh, craft design um, is fantastic. And the previous episode, I did the same thing with Clint Weaver behind Co-Conspirators and, and many other um, brands. Um, and people loved it. 
and so to have the opportunity Great. to come and chat even to you today. Even though they can't see what we're talking about. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's a bigger tease, isn't yeah. it, when you can't, um, yeah. you can't see it. So um, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. And no, this is really fun. Thank you for talking so candidly as well. I think um, it'd be lovely to chat with you again. Yeah, Thanks, Jesse. I hope so. Thank you very much. I should have said as well, how can people find you? <laughs> If they want your services, the Craft Instinct. Uh, craftinstinct.com and you can follow us on Insta, see what's up. I'll put those on the, uh, so you can just look in the show notes and follow uh, Jesse and everybody who works at Craft Instinct. And um, thanks so much. No problem. Okay. Thank you for having me. So that was it. Jesse from Craft Instinct. Sometimes catch myself unaware about how passionate I am about beer design and probably art as well. I don't know. Uh, I probably just haven't made the admission to myself before. But when you're in the presence of somebody like Jesse, who is clearly so knowledgeable and passionate and skilled at what they do, and those choices and that journey that Jesse took us on is so brilliant really really enjoyable now you would have detected towards the end of that episode the mood of the podcast changed and quite rightfully so jesse articulated so well the issues that we're facing in society but let's focus on the industry of beer if you're a long-term listener to this podcast you'll understand that the bits that i do at the end uh, to summarize are completely unscripted uh, spoilers. But that does mean that when it's an issue as important as this, it is difficult for me to articulate exactly how I feel about it. And and also what's to be done. I do believe that something can be done. I'm not 100% sure what that is right now. But there's things that we can do that can make a difference. If you've made it this far into this episode, you care. You care about good beer. You care about people who look after the beer, who make the beer. Clearly, you care enough to listen to this and also to want to do something. I'd love you to get in touch. Suggest things that we can do to help people in our industry who are struggling or suffering because of other people's behavior within the same industry. They might well be struggling today and they might well be struggling tomorrow. We need to make this stop. We need to support breweries who look after their staff. We need to support breweries who have systems in place to deal with the issues that their staff may be facing. We need to support people who show extraordinary bravery to call behavior out when it happens sometimes when behavior happens that is not okay and I've been there when it's happened sometimes I'm a bit paralyzed you might have experienced this where you're a bit paralyzed by what's just happened there because generally I would say I generally hang around with people who have similar outlooks on life uh, who have similar values. And so when somebody says something that doesn't chime with those values, it can really catch you off guard. And sometimes I haven't been quick enough 
or brave enough to call it out there and then. Sometimes I'm on the walk home thinking, I should have said something, I should have done something, but I didn't. I'm sure you might be listening to this thinking moments the same that have happened with you. It doesn't help us to be guilty about that. Where it helps us is to recognize it and to think, what can we do next time? And also, what systems can we put in place to ensure that we educate people, that we make a safe space for everybody, for everyone? How can we make spaces safe and be inclusive for everybody? That might include calling behavior out, but it also starts with conversation. I commented there in the podcast that talk was cheap, but as Jesse picked up quite rightly, it's the start. It is the start of the journey. And we need to start having these conversations in the pub, around the dinner table, at home, in the workplace. We need to start talking about it, acknowledging it, believing people. Let's remember that the vast, vast majority of complaints around this dreadful behavior, the vast, vast majority are true. There are patterns that can be spotted. We have to believe the victims. We have to make sure that they're protected, that they're looked after. We do that by having a conversation. We do that by making sure that we believe them, that we show that we trust them. And it starts by who we buy our beer off. It starts by calling out behavior that happens online. It starts by questioning the inclusiveness of ad campaigns by breweries, about what their social media is about, about what the makeup of their boardroom is, about the levels of the diversity of their staff. And it also starts by how we treat people in the industry, about how we treat people who are new to the industry, about how we treat people who don't conform to the norms of the industry. I was listening to the Crack the Ceiling podcast with uh, Tiff and Lindsay, and they were talking about how the, there are certain consumers who won't catch eye contact with them at a beer festival or at a stall because they want to speak with a man. This is ridiculous. We need to stop. It's not right. <laughs> Keep having the conversation. Keep talking about it. Keep making the right choices. Don't be hard on yourself if you don't call out the behavior there and then. Be hard on yourself if you learn something that's hurting somebody else and you don't do anything about it in retrospect. Be hard on the breweries who are not proactive in doing the right thing. Also, don't be scared about getting it wrong. There's a lot of change to adapt to in terms of the language we use, in terms of gender, in terms of sexuality, in terms of pronouns. 
we're going to make mistakes. I'm going to make mistakes. I already have made mistakes. And I feel a bit embarrassed and a bit stupid and a bit silly when I make those mistakes. But that's okay. I just have to try better next time. I have to go out and educate myself. I might feel those negative emotions, but I can get over that. But these serious issues, which are systemic in our society and systemic in the beer industry, they don't hurt people's feelings. They damage people's lives. They significantly harm people. And that's why it must stop. I'd love you to join me in having this conversation. Please get in touch. You can hit me up on the socials. Email me, thechosenbrewau at gmail.com or through the website, thechosenbrewau.com. I'm not 100% of the way forward, but we've got to do something and we've got, got to do it now. Well done if you've made it this far <laughs> to the podcast. It's not easy to talk about these things. And and if you're listening to this and you have been affected by the issues Jesse articulated so well in this episode, thank you for your bravery and and sorry. Sorry that we didn't act sooner. Sorry that we didn't listen sooner. I hope that if we open up the conversation and if we can do the right thing then tomorrow will be better than today. I know this is a heavy conversation to have. If you do need to seek help um, there is support uh, in the show notes or do call 13 11 14. If you've made it this far through the episode, again, I'll say well done and thank you. You are already part of the conversation. Catch you next time. Take care.